All right. Cliff just asked me right before that video, and he said, I don't know how you can preach after that. Um, And I'm not a crier, but I just cried. That was so weird. What a great way to start, especially when there's so many pickup trucks in Greer. You can't get up and preach, and you just cry. Half the men here won't respect me anymore. Uh, A lot of pickup trucks. I just drove by Greer Country Club, and I was like, I've never seen that many pickup trucks at a golf course. But I love it. I love it. It's awesome. Um, my name is Dustin, and uh, I am a pastor at Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, as Cliff said. And it is a huge honor uh, to be with you guys today. Uh, it has been a, an incredible journey over the past uh, four and a half years uh, in Columbia. And um, I, I want to say this to you guys because I know y'all, y'all give generously uh, as, as buckets come by each week. Um, and you have no idea the people that you're impacting. Um, you just saw, you just saw, pe- there, there, there was a girl that was on there who, um, who uh, was basically hated by her parents, abused by both, um, both physically, uh, emotionally, sexually, um, and she, she, she was in that video, and she now claims Christ, and I love I love when she'll come by our house and just hang out with me and my wife and my son, and she says, I have family now. I have family for the first time. Um, you, you have no idea the stories um, that, that are taking place that God is doing, um, specifically in Columbia, through what you give. Um, thank you. Uh, your generosity, uh, God is using it to change lives. And let me just say this. There, there are so many... Church planning is very popular now. Um, when, when Cliff set out to start this, it wasn't popular. It was kind of dumb at the time because uh, it was like, you're going to go do what? You don't make money doing that. Um, and now it's becoming this popular fad uh, for people to do. And uh, Cliff and, and a and team of you guys set out and did this. And one of the things that I love that is, is in the vision of this church from day one, it seems, is you guys are not just about this church. You're about the kingdom of God. And that's incredible because that's what Jesus preached. Jesus preached the kingdom. Um, he, he, he showed up when, he, when people said, how do we pray? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so you guys understand kingdom. And that is something that even in my time with Cliff and hanging out with him and, and having him teach me stuff along the way, and we've gotten to teach at some, at some small training things and conferences together, uh, one of the things I've learned from you guys as a church is the idea of the kingdom. And seeing this thing is, is much larger than just our little deal that we have in Columbia. And so thank you guys for that. What you're doing um, is impacting and changing people's lives. Um, now, I will say this is interesting that Cliff would invite me to speak uh, during this week. Uh, I'm sure you know this because uh, he, he doesn't tend to hide his feelings. But the University of South Carolina is in the College World Series right now. And they're doing well. That's so dumb. Um, it's terrible. I live in Columbia. I graduated from Clemson. And uh, I see, I know I'm in the upstate now. I know I'm in the upstate. We got red mud clay up here. We don't have stupid sand like they do in Columbia. Uh, I feel at home. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Fountain Inn, uh, which is, for those of you who live here, you know what that is. Sometimes I meet people in Columbia, and they're like, is that like a hotel or something? I don't understand. Uh, when I met my wife, uh, we, were, we started dating, and uh, I was going to take her home to, 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 meet, to meet my parents. And she emailed her mom and said, hey, uh, I'm going with Dustin to Fountain Inn. I'll let you know how the weekend goes. Uh, her mom emailed back and said, Fountain Inn, is that a hotel? Signed. Concerned mom. Uh, <laughs> Fountain Inn is where I'm from. Small town, 6,000 people right down the road. Uh, you guys know where that is. And so it's good to be back uh, in the upstate. Uh, my good friend uh, Charlie Gibbs uh, rode up here with me. And as we were driving, he was, like, he was looking. He was like, sometimes I wonder why I don't just stay up here. And, and I agree. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, this feels a lot like home for me. But, uh, yeah, so congratulations to the Gamecocks at this point. We'll see how Monday goes. Send me more rabbit foots you guys can find when the bases are loaded. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how Monday goes. 
It's tough for me. It's been a tough couple of years being a Clemson grad in a church where 90% of our church either attends the University of South Carolina or graduated from the University of South Carolina. It is difficult. It is difficult. Uh, I am in my Nineveh, um, if you read your Bible. So that is, that is where I'm at. But uh, So I am married. Uh, I have an awesome wife. Her name is Rainy. Like the weather, not spelled that way. Um, beautiful, beautiful wife. We have a son who turns two on July the 1st. Uh, he doesn't look like he's our child, but he is. He has blonde hair and very, very bright blue eyes. Neither one of us have blue eyes. We both have dark hair. And uh, he is unbelievable. And uh, love him to death. He is talking like crazy these days and saying everything that I say, which is scary because I've had to watch myself because I tend to watch sports and get excited. I don't know if you know what that's like, but I have to watch myself. He, he repeats everything, everything that we say. And uh, he is a joy and to, to be with. And he, he's, um, he's starting, to, uh, starting to become a little bit spoiled. So my wife and I thought we'd put an end to that. So my wife is pregnant. And uh, she is 13 weeks pregnant. We just started telling people like a few days ago. My church doesn't even know this. So, uh, yes, we are pregnant. She is due right around Christmas. So it'll make, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're excited. Uh, really, really excited. So um, we should have a second child in December. So we'll see what, how that goes. But um, Midtown Story, uh, just to give you a little bit, I'm going to kind of thread this throughout uh, the scriptures. And what I'm going to do, normally what I do for the most part when I teach at our place is I take a passage and I work through it. Uh, and work kind of verse by verse. Like we're going through the seven churches of Revelation right now uh, this summer. Uh, praise God, I don't have to preach tonight. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things where we, we normally work through passages. What I want to do today instead is kind of give just a bigger picture of the mission of God. And, and kind of paint this, this, this broad stroke of the mission of God. And in that, hopefully I can communicate to you a little bit of what our story is and what God's doing specifically uh, in Colombia. And so our story begins uh, really with the story of God. And so what I want to do is kind of walk through the meta narrative, if you will, and, and start in Genesis 1. That's where our story begins. That's where your story begins. We all, if you walked in and were like, I don't know if I have anything in common with everybody here, we all begin here. So it's good. We have something in common. Genesis 1, God created everything and it was good. You can read through the scriptures, you see that? He created it and it was good. He created man and woman and it was very good. Genesis 3, the story changes. Sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. The world becomes broken, fragmented, messed up. It's not the way God designed it to be. Sin changes things. It corrupts. And so then God begins this mission. He begins this mission of, I will make this right. I will make this good. And so the mission of God starts in Genesis. We, a lot of times we tend to go, well, it's at the cross. The cross is the culmination of his mission. It's where it all lands but it starts in Genesis, and it starts in Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 2, we see the heart of God. Genesis 12, 1 through 2 says this. Some of these won't be on the screen. I changed some of the message on the way here. So uh, if, if, the back, if the person at the back is going, I don't have that one. You don't. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And he goes on to say, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so there's this picture of God going, hey, I'm going to change this. I'm going to bless. I'm going to take the gospel, if you will, good news to the nations. And so after mankind welcomed in sin and death into the world, God responds by initiating. God always initiates. He's the initiator. God responds to our sin. And he, and he says, Here, here's what we're going to do, Abram. I'm going to bless you, and through you and your descendants, that's what it says, I'm going to bless all the peoples on the earth. He promises, I'm going to fix this mess. This is the mission of God. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. So specifically what God is saying here when he talks about through his descendants, and he's going to make this right, and I'm going to bless the nations, he's going to send a Messiah. He, he's saying this early on right here, Genesis 12. A Savior, a solution to the brokenness, a solution to the sin of the world. And it's coming through Abraham's family. And if you follow the bloodline of Abraham, we end with Jesus. Jesus comes and says he is the one who's going to fix everything. It culminates at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus fixes the problem by giving forgiveness, by giving grace to make people new creations. He transforms people continually, more and more. 
And as soon as he's finished with it, as soon as the cross, he looks at his disciples, right? So through the cross resurrection, then he looks at his disciples and he says in Matthew chapter 28. And I know Jonathan Everett from, uh, from Hub City Church preached this passage to you uh, just a few weeks ago. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There's that word again. It's the same thing we see in Genesis 12. We see a thread carrying throughout the scriptures. God's saying, I'm going to make this right, and I'm going to take this news that I can bring, I can bring transformation to the world, and I'm going to do it through Jesus. See it in Genesis 12. We see it in Matthew 28. So he looks at these boys, these young guys, and he says, go to all nations and tell them the good news is here and that God has come and he's come to fix everything. To fix everything. And, and here's how he says, I'm going to do it. God looks at him and essentially says, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this through a bunch of busted, broken, sinful people. I'm going to take ordinary, unschooled men, as Acts 4.13 says. I'm going to take ordinary, unschooled men, and people are going to look and go, there's something extraordinary there. And the difference is the same thing we see in Genesis 12, the same thing we see in Matthew 28. It's Jesus. He's the difference. And he's going to work through. And so God says to Abram in Genesis 12, I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it through you. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I'm here to fix it. And I'm going to do it through you guys. So, so Jesus says he's going to send. Then after that, what do, we, what do we find in Acts chapter 1? Same idea. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And then we see the Holy Spirit show up. And the Holy Spirit goes and indwells into the disciples. Peter goes and preaches a message. And a bunch of Jews get saved that day. But it's not the nations yet, Right? Follow me? Again, I said meta-narrative, so that means we're like going through the whole Bible. I don't know if you guys caught that, but we're working through the whole Bible. And so then the Holy Spirit enters into Peter. He preaches this message, and 3,000 come to know Christ. And that's just the men. I, I want to be at that church service. You know what I'm saying? Like 3,000 come to Christ. I don't know. What is that baptism service? Like you saw ours. And we, we let the people that lead people to Christ baptize people. <laughs> so it's like, I don't even... So does Peter, like, and all the disciples, like, just bat 3,000? Their arms were hurting. Like, I don't know if they all were like, all right, on the count of three, everybody jump in. Like, and everybody just jumped off the side of the pool. I, I don't know, but 3,000 that day were baptized. But it's still not the nations yet. And the heart of God, the mission of God, is to take the gospel to the nations because it is a broken, messed up world, and the only thing that can change and transform that is Jesus. So he's coming after everybody. That's the mission of God. Because the world is broken. He's after all nations. And so from Acts, the story continues. So in the year 42, what happens? Mark goes to Egypt. In the year 49, Paul heads to Turkey. In 51, Paul goes then to Greece. And then in 52, Thomas heads to India. You have the first missionary in Asia now. Then in 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280, there are reports of rural churches in northern Italy. Now listen to this. In the year 350, 31.7 million people in the Roman Empire claim Jesus as Lord. 31.7 million. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. He said nations. He said it in Genesis 12. He said it in Matthew 28. He said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, I'm going to do it through a bunch of ordinary, busted, messed up, sinful people, but they're going to have me, Jesus, the whole, and, the, and the Holy Spirit working in and through them. So it's going to change things. 31.7 million. And then in the year 432, Patrick heads to Ireland as a missionary. Some people call him St. Patrick. Have you ever heard of him? Just for you and your, your thinking, um, he wasn't Irish. Did y'all know that? St. Patrick was not Irish. So you were like, oh, no, that ruins everything. He wasn't Irish. He was a missionary to the Irish. Matter of fact, he was imprisoned there. He was imprisoned there for something he didn't do. And then he escapes prison, heads 
to England and on the way in the on the way on the journey God breaks his heart for the people of Ireland so he goes back to the country where he was imprisoned wrongfully because why because Jesus breaks his heart because he what God has a heart and a mission for the nations and so he breaks a guy's heart and so Patrick heads back you want to talk about church planning you know, you know how many churches Patrick planted in Ireland? 700. He personally trained and discipled over 1,000 pastors. And I get excited about what we're doing in Columbia. I'm like, well, I don't know. I think he wins. We'll see. Are you kidding? I mean, unbelievable. And so we celebrate him by wearing green and people get drunk. So there you go. Way to go. Oh, and by the way, he finds himself before the king all of a sudden. And, uh, and like a good missionary, he wants to take the gospel and contextualize it. And so as he's down kneeling before the king, he looks down. And there's a shamrock there. So he picks it up. And he explains through the three leaves or on the shamrock, he explains and illustrates the Trinitarian God to the king of Ireland. What a good missionary. 635, we find the first missionaries in China. 740, missionaries reach Iceland. 900, missionaries reach Norway. 1200, the Bible, by the year 1200, the Bible had been translated into 22 different languages. In 1492, y'all know the song? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He sailed and sailed and sailed and sailed to find a land for me and you. You don't know it. Uh... Pope Alexander VI granted Spain the newly discovered land in the Americas on the condition that the name, this is to quote, that the name of our Savior be known in those parts, that men and money be sent to tell the native population about Jesus. That was the mission. 1498, first Christians are reported in Kenya. 537, Pope Paul the third says to introduce the Native Americans in New York to Jesus by preaching of the divine word and the example of a good life. 1671, the Quaker missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. 1700, there are about 7,000 colonists in South Carolina, and, according, and that's according to the South Carolina Department of Archives. Went and looked it up. We got that in Columbia. One of the good things about our city, besides the fact that it's so hot right now. 1795, a group of Presbyterians planted the first official church in Columbia, South Carolina. 2005, a group of people moved from the upstate to start a church called Midtown Fellowship. And so we began. That's our story. We're but a small part of the amazing mission of God that began all the way back in Genesis. We're just a part, a very small part. You, doing amazing things for the gospel in this community, you're just a small part. What's happening in Brooklyn, huge, awesome, great. As far as the kingdom goes and the mission of God, it's important, but it's just a small part. What's happening in Spartanburg, it's huge, it's important, just a small part. What's happening in Botswana, which you're supporting that as well, huge, amazing, but just a small part. We're all a part of the mission of God. And he is unfolding this. Do you know that 50,000 Christians, there will be 50,000 new Christians today in communist China, 40,000 in India? Unbelievable what God's doing. And so we set out on this journey, moved to Columbia in 2005. Just being a part of the mission of God. If we wouldn't have gone, would he have saved people? Yes. If he wouldn't have gone, would he have transformed our city? city? Yes. But did he invite us into that? Yes. That's the grace of God, that we get to be a part of his mission. And so a lot of people wonder, well, you know, if you're an investor in a company, you kind of want to know what's happening with the company, get your annual report, want to know what's going on. You guys are an investment. You invest into us. God is doing awesome things. You, you saw stories. And that's really the thing I want you to hear and see more than anything. Um, our, our church runs uh, between seven and 800 people every week. We have two campuses uh, in downtown. We're getting ready to start a third venue um, this fall. And uh, that's beginning uh, on August the 21st. Please pray for us in that, on what that looks like. Um, we have two transitional homeless shelters in the city. 
one for men, one for women, or one for women, uh, just opened uh, three weeks ago. We have helped plant four churches in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. We are currently in the process of financially supporting and helping plant 60 new churches this year in northern India. We have a team of seven that are there on the ground right now. We have a home of hope that we started in India. It's in Delhi. Our team was just there. There are ten little girls there that were rescued out of sex slavery. All the little girls are under the age of 12. They're rescued out of that. They're in the home of hope that we were able to, to start there. We can't do those types of things without churches like yours. Because that's kingdom-sized stuff. Now, you're probably wondering, why in the heck are we supporting a church that has 800 people? That makes no sense. We've got to talk to Cliff and E. They don't know what they're doing. Um, just a little note for you. 60% to 65% of our um, population in our church are college students. 10% of zero is zero. I graduated from Clemson, I know, but I got it, okay? I got it. 10% of zero is zero. And so it's, it's actually this interesting deal that we have. We have all these people, tons of energy, tons of people who want to do stuff, but very little money. And so how do you do that? And, and by the way, uh, the most unchurched population in America is between the ages of 18 and 29 years old. So God has given us the opportunity to reach the most unchurched generation in our country. And you look in that video and you see that he's doing it. The mission of God is continuing. The mission of God is moving forward. God is at work. God is doing work. And so for, for the rest of our time that we have, what I want to ask you is this, because I think there's a tendency, especially in the South, and, uh, and I've grown up in the South, and I wanted to go be a missionary in Cambodia. I went there. I spent a, a good amount of time in Cambodia, um, a couple of months, trying to figure out if that's where I was supposed to be. While I was there, talking to people, literally meeting people who are saying to me, I've never heard the gospel. I, I'm, I don't know who Jesus is. I thought Jesus was a political figure in the United States. I, thought, I mean, that, that's what people thought. They had no idea. I'm meeting people who've never even heard. And in the midst of that, my heart's breaking for those people. But God is breaking my heart more for the religious South. Because we live in a place where everybody's like, I mean, you can go to South Carolina, you go meet somebody. Are you a Christian? Yes. And you're like, no, no, you're not. I don't know. That's a little suspect. Let's be suspect at best. Like, it's just one of those things where, but we live in a place. So God has, God has kind of put this on my heart. Like, let's continue the mission of God here. And God broke my heart while I'm in a third world country where people hadn't heard the name of Jesus for people who hear the name of Jesus all the time. Because let's be honest, some of you and, and, and myself, there have been seasons where we become numb to the idea of the gospel. We become numb to the idea that there is a, there is a God who sent his son to die in our place for our sin so that we can be free. And we become numb to that. And so what I'm going to say to you the rest of our time may seem like, well, we've heard that before. You probably have. But let me ask you a question. Are you just hearing it? Or is the mission of God actually driving you? Is the idea that there is a God who sent His Son to die for you in your place actually drive you to live out the truth? To live that out? Does it actually drive you? Or, man, are, are we just kind of playing the game? And part of the game was you, was, was you showing up this morning and going, yeah, all right, let's do the thing. We'll go eat dinner here, lunch here. We always do. And we'll go here and nap. Dinner. You know, I, I just... I don't want to not challenge you. The gospel is important enough that we need to be challenged. I need to challenge myself as well. And so for the rest of our time, in light of, of God being on this mission and inviting busted, messed up people into that mission like me and like you, how do we join him in it? How do we join him in it? Now, we could probably go through a list and like, you know, 432 ways to join God in his mission. Uh, we don't have time for 432 ways. Uh, Cliff will do a series starting in November. It's called 432 Ways to Joining God's Mission. Be ready for that. Uh, we'll cover the first three today. 
Um, and we'll, we'll walk through these pretty quick. Um, so the first one's this. If you take notes, if that's your thing, if you got like your highlighters out and all that stuff, here you go. First thing, build personal relationships. Build personal relationships. So what does the mission of God look like right here where you live? Build personal relationships. It's number one. Acts 17. Acts 17. If you got a Bible, you can look at that. I think now, I think I'm on the script now. Okay, that's the way I am. Acts 17, verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Do you see that? He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Okay, there are often times where I wonder, why am I in Colombia? Because God wants me there. He determined the exact time, the exact street, the exact place I would live, the exact restaurants I would go to. He determines that. So a lot of you, uh, you, you were hoping for a different job. You were hoping for a job transfer. Greer wasn't, wasn't the final destination you were looking for. Maybe for some of you it was, but, but the house that you lived in and the neighborhood you lived in, it didn't work out, and so you had to move. Uh, economic times kind of got to you, and so you moved, and you wondered why did that happen. God has us where we are at the exact time, at the exact place for a reason. He, there are no mistakes in the kingdom of God. There are no mistakes in the mission of God. He deploys each of us like an army out into different places, trying to cover the planet, to cover Greer, to cover certain neighborhoods, certain schools, certain jobs, certain offices. He's put you where you are for a reason and a purpose. And in that, you are living there for the mission of God. There are two guys in our church, uh, Eric and Michael. Eric and Michael work a regular kind of nine-to-five job. One's an engineer. Another one does a different kind of role in the company. They kind of just were going about their business, go to their nine-to-five, be done, go home, go to their nine-to-five, be done, go home. All of a sudden, they ran across this passage, and they looked and went, man, God has us here together at this place for a certain reason. These are two guys who are part of our church. These men, so they said, well, We've got to do something. I mean, what do we do? And so they said, well, let's start simple. Let's start how they did in Acts. Let's just start with prayer. And so every morning right now, those guys get to work an hour early. They get there and get in before anybody else does. They spend an hour together just praying for their mission field where they are. That's what they do. Do I have an incredible story where their entire office has come to know Christ and then they were flying on a plane the next day and everyone on the plane came to Christ and that plane went to Africa and then the whole... I don't, but those guys are praying. They're pleading and begging with God that, that, that the gospel would be shined through their lives in the office where they work. They understand that they're where they're supposed to be. And so understanding where you're supposed to be and understanding that God has you there for a reason, so then how do we live? One of my favorite passages, one of the passages that kind of pushed me forward to plant this church is 1 Thessalonians 1.8. It says, We loved you so much that, not, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. I grew up kind of in a, in a setting where it was, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. But there was a zero about sharing my life with someone. But that's what the Bible says. We shared our lives with you as well. Share the gospel of God and your lives as well. Love people. Love people in an uncharacteristic, unconditional, surprising kind of way. Actually care for people. Get to know their lives. I mean, do you, do you have people around you, in and around you, that you're building relationships with that don't know Christ? Do you? I mean, I can get so comfortable with the friends that I have. I went to a birthday party yesterday. I think you do that now. I have to do this. I went to a four-year-old's birthday party yesterday with Jack and my wife, and those are great. Um, and uh, it was free food, so I enjoyed that part. But I'm looking around the room, and I'm just like, and I, I was kind of finding myself, and a lot of people think I'm more extrovert, but I, I, kind, I really am getting my energy from being by myself. And so I kind of find myself like moving to the corner of the room. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I'm just kind of sitting in the corner. Randy comes over going, you doing okay? I was like, yeah, whenever you're ready. You can go home. I'm ready. She's like, what is it? I was like, I just don't want to meet people anymore. Anybody with me on that? 
Anybody? Like during the meet and greet time, you're like, I am going somewhere else. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to. Like, I, and, and th- here's the thing. I get to a place to where it's like, I just want these kind of couple friends and I can move on in life that way. And God, the mission of God is not at all about that. And, and the majority of the room at the birthday party I was at yesterday were people who have no clue who Christ is. Not in a church. And I look back at that moment, and, and in that moment, my wife was like, she just kind of looked at me and was like, Mission, mission. I was just like, damn it. My wife slash Holy Spirit. Um, I will go talk to people. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? <laughs> um, and, then, and then I get into a conversation with a guy. This was yesterday. And it's like God's going, are you going to preach it tomorrow? Yeah, you preach it. Don't worry about living it. I'm just like, oh. Preaching can be one of the most... And Cliff can tell you this, man. One of the biggest things for accountability and conviction ever, because like, oh, I can preach it. I can tell him to do it. But it's easier for me just to tell him, you know? And then God hit me with it yesterday. I didn't, I, I didn't want to build a relationship. Jesus, Jesus was all about relationships. He was. How often do you get invited to your neighbor's house? How often do you get invited to the party that the non-Christians are at? I don't know if you know it, but we always, I know we don't like to talk about this miracle because we get kind of crazy about one part of it and we don't know how to interpret it, so we get a little crazy. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. How did he get there? He got invited. He was, and then, and then there's the whole wine thing, well, maybe it was just grape juice, whatever. He, he performed a miracle and people were happy at the end. So, but he was there. Why? Well, let's not just like read through the Bible. Let's like think about it. Why was he there? Because he got invited. How often are we invited to our neighbors? My neighbor, yes, I'm, I was mad. He's invited me before. He didn't invite me. I was mad. I was like, man, maybe what's wrong with me? My neighbor yesterday. Now, I don't drink alcohol. It's just my thing. Uh, if you do, I'm not mad at you. But it's just my thing. I don't because alcoholism runs in my family. And I would probably, I'd do everything 100%. I'd probably be an alcoholic and wouldn't have shown up this morning if I drank. So I don't drink. But my neighbor bruises on beer in the backyard. Welcome to West Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> and he had a party yesterday, and I didn't get invited. And I was like, wow. Because he normally he'll invite me over, and he didn't. And I was just like, man, I, I, maybe I've you know, not been hanging out with him. Because I think Jesus gets invited to those. He did. Are you building relationships with people to that point? So, so, so how, do we be, how, how do we be good friends to people to where we're able to, to, to communicate the gospel? Let me just give you a couple things. These are just simple, very practical. Um, get, to know your, get to know your friend's interest. Know what they like. There's a friend of mine who lived in Colorado, and I went out and visited him. This was a while ago. Um, and he lives in just a normal neighborhood right outside of Denver. And across the street, he has a friend, which I, don't know, I didn't know these were in Colorado, but he has a friend across the street who's a huge NASCAR fan. Um, he has a friend next door to him who does fly fishing. And then his neighbor next to him is a huge hockey fan. He knows nothing about NASCAR. He knows nothing about fly fishing. And he hates hockey. And that's who God put around him. Do you know what this guy did? And you might be like, what a nerd. He went to the library and got books on all three subjects and read them from beginning to end. And then he's sitting there talking to his friend. He's like, oh, yeah, so you make your own flies? Oh, yeah. So with that, do you do this and this and this? And then with NASCAR, he was going, he's talking to his friend about the history of NASCAR. And then when all of a sudden there was the, the Stanley Cup, what did he do? He had a huge party at his house and invited everyone, of course his neighbor, over to watch the Stanley Cup finals for hockey. Why? Because he cares about them enough to look at their interests. Not only share the gospel with you, we share our lives with you as well. So I'm, I'm just challenging with that. You get to know people who do what you do. I love sports. So what do I do? I play ultimate frisbee. I'm getting old. My leg hurts now. I got a game on Monday. I haven't been able to walk since last Monday. I love playing. My main reason for being there is to build relationships with people. They like sports. I like sports. I like to compete. They like to compete. So we're there. So afterwards, hopefully I'm getting a bite to eat with one of them or a group of them. 
Let me, let me just throw one more out at you as you build personal relationships. Be, I don't know any other way to put it. This is kind of one of the ways that languages that we use. Be a local. Be a local here. I get to know people locally. Like there's a guy, his name's Jameson. Jameson's been a part of our church for a while. Uh, Jameson, um, he goes to the same gas station every single morning and gets coffee there. Now, he said their, cor- their coffee is horrible. Terrible. But it's right by his house. It's in the neighborhood he lives in. And so he goes and he gets coffee there every morning. The same lady works every time. So he goes there and gets coffee. He talks to her. They have a conversation. She eventually has his coffee ready when he gets there. Hey, Jameson. Coffee ready every morning. Eventually he gets to share part of his story. Next thing you know, he walks in. She's, she sees him. She starts bawling and crying. Why? Because she knows that Jameson cares about her because he's said, hey, I'll pray for you about that before. So on that day, he got to pray for her because her son had just been arrested. He also goes to the same grocery store every single time at the same time so he knows the same people are working. A lot of you might be like, that's crazy. That's a little creepy. I try to take my trash out when I know my neighbor takes his trash out because my neighbor that... He doesn't like me. But if I keep talking to him long enough, I might win him over. So I, every time, it's always, oh, funny seeing you here, just taking my trash out. <laughs> I got nothing in there. I already took it out. <laughs> Same. So Jameson goes to the same grocery store, right? He gets to know the people. Jameson gets sick. He has a mild heart attack. At 25, by the way. Has to have some surgery done, some other things done after this. A lot of things going, complications. All of a sudden, he gets a gift basket at his house. Huge gift basket. Who's it from? The managers of Publix. They had the staff Christmas party later that year. The staff Christmas party. Who gets invited? Jameson. Is he on staff there? No. He's the only person there not on staff. He gets to go to the Christmas party. All of a sudden, one of the managers is going through a tough thing. He says, hey, Jameson, I don't know who else I'm supposed to talk to about this. I, I have nobody to talk to. But can I talk to you about it? So what does Jameson get to do? Pray for the guy, share the gospel with the guy. Now, is the story end with this? So the guy ended up becoming the president of Publix and now has a public ministry where he writes books about working at Publix and sharing the gospel. No. The guy's not a Christian yet. But Jameson's still sharing the gospel with him. Because he's built a personal relationship with him. Where are you doing that? Who are you doing that with? All right, number two. Introduce people to church family. Introduce people to church family. Now, one of the things that we, we talk about at Midtown a lot is, is we call church family. You, might, you know, you call it a fellowship. Call it, we call it family. We feel like um, that we are the adopted children of God. We believe what Ephesians says. We're, we call each other family. So that's my brother. That's my sister. We're family. I love what John 13, 35 says. Jesus said this. He says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, a lot of times we might take that passage and go, Oh, so we've got to love everybody. Yes, we need to love everybody. There's verses for that one. This is not that one. This verse is talking about believers loving and caring for believers. So as Christians, how do you care for each other? How do you walk deeply with each other? Francis Schaeffer says this. He says, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. So if all of a sudden they come into your context around, around the church folks and they see you and it's the same thing that they have in their home or it's the same thing they have with their friends, there's no difference. Do you as a church actually love, care for each other deeply? Walk with each other deeply? If there's a need, is it met by you? There should never be a need within the local body of Christ that is not met by the local body of Christ. Never. Ever. should always be met. Always. There was a girl who, uh, she was studying at one of the, we have a number of colleges um, in the city. She was studying at one of the colleges. Uh, she's originally from uh, Africa. Doesn't have a lot of money. It's just here studying. She lives with an aunt. Very, very low income household. And she becomes a part of our church, becomes a part of one of our life groups, which is our, our small groups. 
She's in a group with it was all college girls. And they kept, they, that she, but she needed a job, and so she got a job. And so these girls set up a schedule to drive out to where she lived. She lived 20 minutes outside of downtown to drive out to get her, to take her to her work. Another one would go and pick her up, and they set up this whole schedule. Finally, one of the girls was just like, wait a minute, this is probably a business major, uh, looks and, and thinks through the whole picture and goes, uh, this doesn't make sense. We continually do this. Why don't we just buy her a car? College students. And they're like, well, uh, buy her a car. How do we do that? We don't, again, 10% of zero is zero. And the girl said, well, because you know the Bible doesn't let us off on that? Like, if you don't make anything, you still, you still have to give? I know that's weird. It says, sell your possessions. If you don't have anything, you sell your possessions and you give to the poor. So what do these girls do? They actually took the Bible for what it said. They're like, oh, this is real. We should do what the Bible says. I love simple obedience. It's the best. So they were like, all right, well, let's, let's, let's set a plan for like six months and let's just start selling stuff on eBay and Craigslist. So they started selling their stuff. Six months later, they had $6,000 and they bought her a car. Gave her just six out. They, they just, they're like, I don't need to get my hair cut at this place. I don't have to buy those types of jeans. So they sacrificed on that end, if you want to call that a sacrifice. But then they also took the stuff they had and they sold it and they bought her a car. Now, the fun part of that story is another girl heard about it who's Muslim and said, I've never heard of anything like that. People don't do that for each other. Now, I'd like to tell you that she became a Christian and went back to her country to to share the gospel. And she did. She did. She heard the story. She got around church. She got around these girls. She started hanging out with them. And she said, the way you love each other is so vastly different. So vastly different. I don't, I don't understand it. You sacrifice each other. You're generous to each other. You, you care for each other. You confess sin to each other. You walk deeply with each other in that sin. How is that? Jesus. You see the mission of God? All the different ways it works out. And this girl goes, well, I want that. So she became a believer in Christ. She's back in the States now studying again. This, this is the Muslim girl who's not a Muslim anymore. I had an email from her not long ago. said, hey, I'm in Ohio, and I'm in this town. Do you know of a church I can be a part of? I want to continue growing in my faith. It's so good what God does, how he uses church family. 1 Peter 2.12 says, live such good lives among the, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The invisible God is made visible by the body of Christ, revealing the body of Christ. The invisible God is made visible by the body of Christ, revealing the body of Christ. How it works, how it operates. The local church can actually be super attractive to the world. When, they, when people get around it, they want it. People want to belong to something. Do you know? I mean, think about all the different things that people try to join in with in the community. All the different, everything. People ultimately want to belong to something. Everyone's invited to join God's family through Jesus. So, so be the body of Christ. Love each other well. Be family. Don't let needs go unmet. I, I love Matthew 5. Jesus is preaching. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do you people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives a light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, here's one thing I want to let you know. So often we take that verse, and, 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 and I, love, I love children's songs, and I grow up with children's songs, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. The problem with that is it's not this little light of mine. The, it says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I haven't seen too many cities where you're like driving by, and you're like, oh, look at that city. It's one dude standing there. That's not a city. A city is a group of people. Jesus didn't like make a mistake when he did the illustration. He knew what he was doing. The city on a hill is, is the local church. The city on the hill is the people of God living out the mission of God. So when people see light, they see the light of the world. They see Christ. They see the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not one person. The body of Christ is the church. Everyone coming together, being the body of Christ together. Operating that way. 
And so we share the light of the world with people as the church, as church family. So how do we do that as church family? Well, I think for a long time, a lot of us have made mistakes in that. Like, you, you don't tell or mock someone who's stumbling in a do- dark room, do you? Like, like you, don't, you don't tell them, ah, you don't know where the light is. Like, if all of a sudden we shut these lights off. Somebody had never been in this room like me. I've only been in here once. And all of a sudden I'm trying to find my way out of here and I can't see anything. And all of you absolutely know how to get out of this room. You, in that moment, you don't pick at me. In that moment, you don't yell at me. In that moment, you go, light's over here, follow the light. See the light? I mean, so how do we live that out? We live it out by loving and caring for people deeply. By allowing them to see how we love each other. All right, last thing, third thing. Speak the gospel. Speak the gospel. Now, the guy who said this quote that I'm about to quote is a lot smarter than me, but I, I, I disagree with his statement at a certain level. St. Francis said this. He said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Grace can't be mined. Grace can't be mined. It can only be spoken. It always involves words. You've got to communicate. I think too often we can get comfortable. Well, if I just live it out and people see it, then they'll know. How? Well, I wear a t-shirt. No, don't do that. I wear a t-shirt that says it. My favorite Christian t-shirt is the one that says, they will know we are Christians by our t-shirt. That's a fun one. People cannot interpret solely from your life and actions that you have been accepted freely because of God's sacrifice and that the reason why you're changed, that you're different, that you're transformed in love with Jesus, people can't interpret that just how by how you live. You actually have to speak truth to people. They can be intrigued, they can be interested, they can be attracted to your life, but at some point you have to speak the truth. And I think that, well, then, well, I'll just live it out. I think that's become a crutch for us to be lazy with the gospel. Romans ten fourteen says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they hear it unless someone tells it to them? They can't. You can't mom grace. Here's the best part, though, about gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? News. You know that, right? The word gospel, all in, translated, means good news. So it's news. That's what's just so vastly different. So when we speak the gospel to people, it's vastly different than every other religion on the planet. It is vastly different than a- any other thought system that we have. It's so different. The gospel's not advice. The gospel's news. Every other religion, every other way of thinking is advice. Dr. Phil, that's advice. Oprah, that's advice. Do this, do that. Don't do this. Do this and you can have your best life now. Do this and you can have this. Like, that's all advice. I mean, there's, there's tons of books for advice. Seven Habits of a Highly Successful People. Nine Ways to Be a Better You. 75 New Habits to Help You Be Awesome. 496 Things to Do on Fridays at 9 a.m. to Make 9 a.m. on Friday Better. Uh, there, here's ways to eat better. Here's ways to eat less meals. Here's way to eat more meals and yet be smaller. Here's uh, like exercise more, exercise better, take more vacations, take less vacations, work harder, work smarter, work faster, get married, get divorced, have kids, sell your kids, send the kids to college, pray five times a day, uh, pray facing this way, um, pray this memorized prayer, love yourself, center yourself, empty yourself, reach a state of nothingness. This is everything the world has to tell us. It's all advice. The gospel's not advice. The gospel is news. It's good news. So we have the most amazing thing to tell the world. Jesus is the news. And it's that God has grace for us and wants to redeem us. And that it is not about what we do. It is not about our actions. It is about what he has done for us in our place. The gospel is that you don't have to make yourself right. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. No, that's what he does. That's what he has done. That's the best news there is. That's the gospel. So speak that. 
talk, say it to people. Actually communicate that. Live an honest life in front of people. By the way, living the Christian life doesn't mean that you live in such a way that people look at you and go, wow, everything's perfect with them. Share your mistakes with people because when people all of a sudden see your mistakes, then they go, wow, there is hope for me because that guy makes mistakes, but I see the hope that he has. If you communicate that living the Christian life is about perfection and getting everything right, then no one's going to want it because everyone's going to look and go, that's not possible for me. And you're lying. Right? Speak the gospel. It's good news. So, build personal relationships. Introduce people to church family. Get them around other people. Let them see what the family of God looks like. And then speak truth to them. Again, we can do 493 of these things, but overall, that, those are three simple things. Those are things I see people applying in our context, in our church, and, I, and we're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing God work. They're simple. But ultimately, the difference maker is this. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. And that mission is going forward. I want to share one last story, and then we're done. The one thing that I think all of us need to understand in all of this is the gospel. And so I, I, I just ask this, and this isn't like the moment in time where I'm like, you know, at the end going, all right, non-Christians in the room. No, everybody in the room. The best thing you can hear, Christian who's been a Christian for 48 years, Christian who's been a Christian for eight months, the thing you need to hear more than anything else today is this. It's the gospel. The gospel is not something you accept just when you become a Christian. It's something you live in every day. The deepest, thing you can, the deepest thing you can do in your Christian walk is to grow deeper, to, to, to get to know the gospel more every day. Every morning I teach myself the gospel. Every morning I draw a little chart. One is an arrow going this way, and it's, it's I want to grow in my knowledge of how holy God is. The other one's an arrow going this way, and it's I want to grow in the depth of knowing how sinful I am. Because if I grow in those two things, then the grace of God can only grow in my life. Because I'll see how undeserving I am because of how holy he is, but how graceful he is because of the cross. Teach ourselves the gospel. Here's the best explanation I have for my own life of the gospel. I was in Cambodia. I was 21 years old. And uh, I was going to share the gospel with people who had never heard it. There was a part of me that felt a little bit heroic in that. Wrong place to be. I was a blip on the screen in the kingdom of God. And so I go to this orphanage, and the missionary, David Jarba, told us, hey, a lot of these kids are going to have a disease called scabies. I don't know if you know anything about scabies. kind of similar to chicken pox, very contagious. He said, so just be careful. If they have it, it can, and you hug them, or you touch it, it can get on you. And we're in the middle of a village. I mean, there there wasn't like a hospital, at least not one you would go to um, in in the area. And so he's like, you're just going to have to suffer through it if it happens. So I'm just letting you all know, you pray through it, do what you want. So I'm going, of course I'm going to hold these kids. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Jesus touched the leper. I touched the kid with scabies. I'm like Jesus. I'm going for that. So I get there, and then as I get there, I start getting nervous. And I was like, okay, God, if you could, like, hook me up with a kid that's not doesn't have that, it would be better. And so all of a sudden, the gates open up to this orphanage. There were 100 kids in this orphanage. Two people worked there. 100 children, two people worked there. Any children under the age of five um, went completely nude, no diapers, no nothing, because they couldn't afford them. So under five, nothing. Over five, um, scarce clothes at best. It's a sad, sad place. Gates open. Imagine this. 100 kids here that, hey, there are eight folks about to show up here that want to hold me, talk to me, care for me, play with me. They hardly ever, ever get that in this village. 100 kids come running around this corner. I mean, it was like a herd. And, it, and it's just like all these children running. I'm just sitting there going, this is so awesome. These kids are so, huge smiles. I mean, a lot of them have not been held for months. As we walk, um, we're walking. All of a sudden, I look, and I see this one kid. And this kid was probably, I'm going to guess he was right around 10, 11 months old. He was, he was crawling, kind of doing the stand-up, wobble knees, fall down thing, not ready to walk yet. But he, so he's doing the military crawl as fast as he can, fast as he can. And he is adorable. And I'm like, that's my boy, taking him home. Like, like, I'm going to hang out with this kid. And I go, and he looks up at me, and I'm kind of standing on the side. He looks up at me and just smiles. Beautiful child. Naked as he can be. And he, then he turns his head, and this whole side of his face is covered with scabies. 
gross disease that just very, very, um, just horrible looking. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to pick this child up. And so he reaches one little hand up, up to me, trying to grab it up to me. And I'm reaching down, looking at him, and I was just like, and in that moment, I had this decision to make, to pick this child up, hold this child, get to be like Jesus. This is awesome. And so there was that moment. What do you think I did? I pushed the kid's hand down, and I left the orphanage. I left. I wasn't willing. I didn't want his disease on me. So I went back into the guest house that I was staying at. Started the service by crying, so I can tell you this part. Fell on my face in my room, and I just cried my eyes out. Just bawled. In that moment, I felt like this Holy Spirit was kind of just saying to me, you get what just happened there, right, Dustin? That little kid's you. And you have a terrible terrible, disgusting, contagious disease called sin. And I reached down and I picked you up. And I held you right against my face and I took your disease and I put it on me. Through the cross. And I remember just sitting there bawling my eyes out going, wow, God showed me the gospel. He took on my disease for me. So, I, uh, I love the grace of God. I got to go back the next day. So I went back the next day. I was going to fight anybody on my team that tried to touch that child. All of a sudden, I look. Here they come running again. There, this kid is military. And I'm like, excuse me, kid. I'm sorry. You move. I'm going to this kid. I look down. Scabies all over his face. And I reach down, and I grab that kid up. And I held that kid right up against me. And I remember just kind of looking up going, I get the gospel. I get it. Did I get scabies? I didn't. Later on, I'm feeding a little kid these little graham crackers. I was dipping in milk. He was eating them. <laughs> and uh, I gave him lunch. He was hungry. He was killing these graham crackers. I don't know if y'all know how the human body works or not. But he didn't have a diaper on. <laughs> Next thing you know, sorry for bathroom humor. Getting ready to go to lunch, I know. Kid does his deal right there, man. All over me. I mean, from here, here. All over me. I'm just holding this kid. I was just, <laughs> I was just like, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I get it. I get it. First the disease, now all of this. I get it. You pick us up in our disease, in all of our... Okay, I got it. You make, you got I handed the kid to a girl, and I was like, all right, let's clean him up. I'll be right back. And I went, and there was this showerish thing. Just ran it over me outside, cleaned off my clothes, and I just sat there, and I started dying laughing. I was like, I get, I get the gospel. And I remember saying that moment for me, because getting the gospel is what changes everything. Getting news that God took on our disease for us changes everything. I remember saying in that moment, God, whenever, wherever, however, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to do that. And so, man, we get to do that together. We get to do that in the kingdom. You get to do that as a local church. I pray you'll live out that mission, but you'll live it out of a place, not of just, oh, I'm obligated, but out of a place of, man, the gospel's changed us. And we've got news the world needs to hear. Let's pray. Father, um, God, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And God, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, I, I pray that this morning um, that we just be challenged by your truth, challenged by gospel, challenged by the mission that we've seen you carry out from Genesis 12 to Matthew 28 to Acts 1-8.
to St. Patrick, to Freedom Fellowship, to Hub City Fellowship, to Trinity Grace, to Midtown Fellowship, how this mission just continues to go out. This mission that you live the life we couldn't live, you died the death that we deserve, and you give freedom. God, thank you for that. Thank you for a partner church like this, Lord, who loves you and loves to live out your mission. God, we thank you for how good you are. We love you. It's in your name that we pray and we worship. Amen.